Greetings, film fans! What's happening? Hope everyone is doing well, and thanks for listening in here to the Second Day Film Podcast, the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Wednesday, May 29th, 2019. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, flying solo today to bring you some thoughts on the slew of interesting films coming out as we enter the fast-paced, busy, hopefully warm summer months. Hope everyone had a wonderful Memorial Day. I spent mine with a mix of work and play. Uh, Did some barbecuing, golfing, bonfires, uh, but also did some landscaping to the front of the house. And of course, just want to say a thank you to all the men and women who are serving and have served, uh, especially those who paid the ultimate price for our freedom. Uh, Without them, we wouldn't have time to do stupid, pointless things like film podcasts, so uh, hope you all poured out a little bit for our heroes over the weekend. I know, Fletcher, it's a little bit sad. Uh, Anyway, coming up on today's show, I'll be reviewing three different films. Uh, Two are in theaters currently and have been for a little bit of a while, and one that's the latest sort of viral Netflix sensation. It's called The Perfection. Um, But first, how to get in touch with us. Um, I know we say this every time on the podcast, and our return listeners probably get annoyed by it, Um, but hey, it's the only way we can grow the pod, and and if you are a return listener, you can really help uh, sort of in this area by just giving us a rating, a star rating, an actual review, um, either on Facebook or iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud. Um, We're on Twitter at Second Day Film. That's all written out. Um, We're on Instagram. I I posted a, a cool picture of... Um, some little Aladdin lamp cups uh, that they're giving out over at Celebration Cinema in honor of the live-action Aladdin. Um, so some, some interesting content on there. Um, really on all, any social media, if you just search Second Day Film Podcast, we, we should pop up. Um, you know, it's been a slow build on, uh, on social media, and uh, in terms of listenership, you know, we've been pretty consistent about the number of ears who are listening to us, um, and that's okay. You know, this is going to be, a, we do this for fun, and it's going to be a slow build. Um, so we really appreciate everyone who has been listening and tuning in, um, and we really appreciate anyone who has told their friends or fellow film lovers uh, about the Second Day Film Podcast. All right, so I just teased it a little bit ago. The first film I'm going to talk about is one I just decided to uh, watch last night after seeing um, numerous articles online sort of touting or talking about the shocking nature of it. Um, It's called The Perfection. Uh, This is a movie that had its premiere at some of the film circuits but was picked up by Netflix um, and premiered on the 24th of this month, so just a few days ago. Um, The plot summer on IMDb, when troubled musical prodigy Charlotte seeks out Elizabeth, the new star pupil of her former school, the encounter sends both musicians down a sinister path with shocking consequences. This movie is directed by Richard Shepard and stars Allison Williams of Girls fame um, and Logan Browning in the two lead roles, uh, Elena Huffman, Stephen Weber, uh, and Molly Grace um, kind of round out the rest of the cast. It's It's a very small cast, and really it's a pretty small movie. Um, it's just 90 minutes long, sits firmly in the drama, horror, uh, thriller genre, um, and it, this really uh, is a pretty entertaining watch, I have to say. Um, early on, th- this film um, sort of reminded me of a couple of different films, um, one being The Neon Demon, um, which is a movie that came out um, in 2016 that deals with sort of 
uh, model culture in LA um, and sort of how it's such a cutthroat um, sort of industry. As the movie goes on, it develops into having some psychological aspects. The other one is is Black Swan, uh, which which deals with dance, featuring uh, the movie uh, Darren Aronofsky's film that came out a couple years ago, starring Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis. Um, again, a movie that sort of is about uh, dancers and competitive dance and females in competition with one another. Um, so early on, this movie it feels like it's being set up um, to be this sort of competition between the former cello prodigy and the new cello prodigy. Um, it's, it's where these, uh, when they meet in Shanghai, these girls are sort of, um, outwardly civil, but maybe there's like a boiling hatred underneath or there's jealousy or, um, petty envy and there's sort of like these intense undertones. So, uh, it's kind of a cool setup to start the movie. But what we find out is these two girls, when they first meet, they actually hit it off, uh, quite well to the point where they're sexually attracted to each other. Um, and they, they end up going out in Shanghai and having a one-night stand. And their paths lead them to where Lizzie, the new prodigy, ends up inviting Charlotte to go basically backpacking in the Chinese uh, mountains with her for a couple weeks. And this is when this seemingly fun, innocent story about two young, talented musicians um, takes this sort of psychotic insane turn that maybe you wouldn't feel, um, you know, in the early portions of the movie. Um, I'm going to try and avoid some of the twists and turns that happen in this movie, but let me just say there's a first twist that we find out that involves a sort of rewind flashback, um, and I think it's really effective in this movie. Um, I didn't see it coming, and I think it really helps illustrate what we think the filmmakers want us to think this movie is about, which is petty jealousy, um, a rivalry between women, and I think it works really well to sort of set up the rest of the movie, um, because what we find out later in the movie is they're actually going to um, subvert those expectations or send us in a different direction. Um, and what we find out really by the end of this movie is that it's not a movie about petty jealousy between women. It's about women protecting women um, and banding together to take down an evil man um, who ends up being their this uh, world-renowned uh, cello instructor that they both have idolized for their entire lives. Um, so Stacy Reese, she's one of the producers of this movie. Um, she said it was filmed right um, when sort of the Harvey Weinstein um, being accused of sexual abuse stuff was coming out. Um, he's, he's since pled not guilty and there's a trial set for September. Um, but but it's very clear within this movie, within from a thematic standpoint, that the filmmakers are very aware of the issues raised by his case and how it relates, how this movie can sort of relate to or comment on the Me Too movement that has been um, one of the bigger things in Hollywood over the, over the past couple years. Um, a quote from Reese, uh, this is to the New York Times, she says, quote, This is a film about women supporting other women. It's this idea that we're all in this together. So basically how this comes to fruition is we find out that this uh, cello teacher that both of them have idolized growing up um, actually rapes them if they get a note wrong or if they place a note wrong or don't do things perfect, if they don't nail the perfection. Um, so obviously this is a very serious, shocking topic. And let me say this movie throughout it. In the early scenes, in the early twist I'm talking about, there's a character that's getting sick or thinks she's getting sick, and it's there's some very shocking imagery um, throughout this movie, really. Um, and I think that's probably why it's been a little bit divisive amongst some people, is this film has a lot of shock value. 
there are some upsetting scenes that are going to be upsetting to people. Um, there are some things that aren't going to exactly make you feel that good. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that we live in the age of Twitter now, and I think Bird Box was sort of the same way with Netflix. I think they're maybe latching onto these films that, you know, people can pop on in, in a sort of um, binge style or uh, at their fingertips style, and all of a sudden it becomes a, a worldwide phenomenon through social media and whatnot. Um, this this movie's definitely going to do that for a lot of people, and it's going to rub some people the wrong way because some of the things that are portrayed on screen. I personally think it was it was very effective in the way uh, that it, it it got its point across. Um, what ends up happening is we find out that the reason that things took a dark turn in the early portion of the movie is because Charlotte is actually trying to help Lizzie, um, despite the drastic measures that appeared that were done through petty jealousy were actually done to help her. Um, they end up making a plan to take down this corrupt uh, cello music society. Um, throughout the film, there's this haunting score um, of cello music, which makes sense because cellos are a big part uh, uh, in the film. Um, but it's mostly cellos, strings, um, that's just kind of playing throughout the film. And it's, it gives it a sort of eerie, classic, haunting feel to it that I think really helps illustrate the chilling things that are going on on screen. There's great performances by the two leads, Allison Williams, who I mentioned was in Girls and also in Get Out, um, which is a movie that you could compare to this in the way that it's sort of like an offbeat, um, disturbing, but also clever thriller. Um, she, she's sort of finding her way, I think, with some roles um, that sort of fit into that box. Um, so I think that works well. And also Logan Browning, who is in distress for much of this movie, particularly in the early portion. She does a good job sort of portraying the fear and making us really believe what we're seeing um, when what we're actually seeing on screen might not actually be happening. Um, and if that sounds confusing, that's uh, because it is. <laughs> and I think the movie does a good job sort of masking what it's actually trying to say, particularly in the early portion uh, of the film. Uh, the final shot of this film... Um, we're left with the limbless teacher. The girls have hacked him to bits, chopped his arms off, his legs off. Uh, they've sewed his eyes shut. They've sewed his mouth shut. Um, and he's sitting there in the room where he used to rape them. Each of the girls are playing the cello together. Um, both of them have lost an arm. So it's um, the, the movie's called The Perfection. And literally in the last shot, we have a limbless teacher watching his two maimed prodigies play the cello. Um, so there's clearly some some commentary there on, you know, what is perfect and what uh, should we expect when it comes to perfection. Overall, this movie, I think, has some really interesting ideas. Um, I'm not sure it completely nails the sort of Me Too undertones that it's trying to go for, but it certainly is thought-provoking. Like I said, it's been rather divisive. It's just a quick 90-minute film, so it's a quick, easy watch uh, well, maybe it's not easy, but it's a it's a quick watch um, that I was totally engrossed with and totally into the whole time. Yes, there's some shocking moments, but I think they're done with purpose. Um, and I, I actually quite enjoyed this movie, so I gave it an 8 out of 10. All right, next up on the agenda for uh, today's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast is a little movie you might have heard about, about a little character named Pika Pika. It's Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Uh, the plot summary on IMDb. In a world where people collect Pokemon to do battle, a boy comes across an intelligent talking Pikachu who seeks to be a detective. This movie is directed by Rob Letterman and stars Ryan Reynolds as the voice of Pikachu. Um, Justice Smith is the other main lead in this. 
Catherine Newton, Bill Nye, Ken Watanabe, Chris Gear, and Suki Waterhouse um, round out the rest of the principal cast. Now, before I get into this review, and there were some things I liked and disliked about this movie, I just have to say that I'm not sure there's anything that's taken over the world more times than Pokemon. Um, you know, you had the TV show back in the day, which I never really watched, but I know a lot of people liked. Then you had the Pokemon cards, which quite literally seemed to take over the playground to the point in my school where they had to be banned if, if they caught you with Pokemon cards on the playground. You had you were got detention or had to face the wall because they were literally taking over kids' lives in school, um, in playground. Kids were literally spending recess just sitting around trading cards rather than actually playing. Um, so the cards were a huge deal. You had the video games on the Game Boys and the Game Boy Colors and um, you know, those were extremely popular. And then more recently, when it seemed like Pokemon had seemingly faded into the background um, of pop culture, Pokemon Go on the cell phone pops up, and all of a sudden, your real world turns into a world like in the film of Pokemon Detective Pikachu. So I'm not really sure what it is about Pokemon that is so um, alluring to people. Maybe it's it's the that they're cute. Maybe it's that they're creative creatures. Maybe it's just the nature of collecting um, that is appealing to people. But for some reason, Pokemon is something that always seems to find a way to, to weasel its way back into the consciousness of society. Um, and I think this movie, Getting Made, uh, is another example of that. Um, I'm glad this movie got made. I'm not sure what took us so long to have a sort of live-action CGI mixed Pokemon movie. You would think that would have happened by now. Um, and let me just say before I go any further in the review that if you're a hardcore Pokemon fan, you're probably going to love this movie. Um, there's tons of fan service within the film in terms of the way they use and incorporate Pokemon into the world that the story takes place and the plot of the movie. Um, and, I, and I think that's probably the best part of the movie. Um, and the thing I liked the most about it was the way that they sort of find ways to get Pokemon into the world, or we see how they're using them, how we see that the, you know, Machamp is a, is a crossing guard, or they use Pikachus to generate electricity, or they use Squirtles are the firemen. You know, it's, it's just kind of fun to see them um, work within the world overall. You know, in, in the context and the plot of the movie, we get to see Blastoise, we get to see Charizard, we see Bulbasaur, we see Mr. Mime, we see Ditto, um, we see Mewtwo, you know, so they make sure to get all of the, the key, you know, some of the most loved Pokemon within the story. So that was probably the most fun thing for me, honestly, was to see how they were going to incorporate different Pokemon into the story and to see how they're used in the world. That being said, and I, and I think I might be a little bit in the minority on this, I didn't really like this movie overall. Um, you know, it, it was enjoyable enough and fun enough to watch, and as a sort of casual Pokemon fan, you know, it was fun enough to watch. Um, but if you actually sit back and think about the movie itself, it has a lot of issues. Um, lazy writing, in my opinion, was the biggest issue. Um, this movie was written by, you know, a team of writers led by Dan Hernandez and Benji Samet, but there was, you know, a huge team. You would think with a big team that you would be able to come up with a good, well-written story. It's terrible in this. Um, within the world, you know, they have this sort of advanced holographic technology um, that basically just shows us what can happen in the past. 
and I get it. It's a storytelling device. It's a futuristic world, and it's fine if you want to incorporate that into the story. But they use it five or six times within this story, and it's just too much. Um, and, and what I mean this is they're basically showing us the past in real time as the character's standing there watching it. And it's overused in this movie. It's, it's like skipping steps in storytelling. It's cheating. You know, it, it's cheating. It, like, find a better way to tell us what happened in the past than literally showing us every detail that has happened in the past. It's just sort of lazy, and they use it nonstop in this movie, and I think that's just cheating. Um, you know, the, uh, at the beginning of the movie, um, our main character, Tim, is riding a train into Rhyme City, um, which is where most of the uh, story takes place, and they, they show this video. Before we get to Rhyme City, please watch this informational video on what you can expect. And it just explains the entire backstory of how Rhyme City came to be. It introduced two of these corporate heads that sort of created Rhyme City. Hey, I wonder if one of them's going to be the villain. You know, so it, it's just, it uses every shortcut that there is um, to try and tell the story. And, and I just feel like that's lame. Like, you have this great footprint of characters. You have this great footprint of creatures. You're telling me you can't find a compelling story without just basically explaining everything to us on screen? So I, I didn't love it. And to go along with that, there's way too much coincidence happening in the plot of this story, which actually ends up going all over the place. You know, it's called Detective Pikachu, um, but they don't actually figure anything out. Everything that happens to them within the story of the film is either by coincidence or dumb luck or because they happen to stumble onto something. It's not really a cohesive plot. And if you sit there and you're yelling at me right now because I'm ripping this, ask yourself as you're watching this movie, why did that character make that decision? Or how did they get here? Or why was that character there in that moment? And you'll find that it makes absolutely no freaking sense for about 85% of the movie. That being said, it is still entertaining to watch when it actually gets there, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when it does. So, script, screenplay, plot, a little bit all over the place, very disappointing to me. I kind of expected that. What I didn't expect was to dislike Ryan Reynolds, who has been one of my favorite actors, um, basically ever since Waiting and uh, Van Wilder, back in his ridiculous days. I've always loved Ryan Reynolds. He has such a knack for comedic timing. And that's here in this movie. And the reason I was excited to watch it was because he was going to vo voice Pikachu. To my shock, I didn't actually like that within the movie. Of course, there's these funny line one-liners, and it's, it's Ryan Reynolds. It's like him playing Deadpool, except it's coming out of a Pikachu. And because of that, it felt odd. It was almost like they were matching Pikachu to Ryan Reynolds instead of Ryan Reynolds to Pikachu. And I don't know if that makes sense, but I hope it does. But it just, I didn't think that Ryan Reynolds' delivery and his tact and his comedic timing really worked coming out of a cute little fuzzy Pikachu. It just felt weird. They make him make all these sort of weird, vile, like fart jokes and poop jokes and um, all this stuff, and that's not how I ever imagined Pikachu in the animated series, in the games, in anything. So it just felt like a weird match, and while it's funny at times, I did laugh, um, it just felt odd. One other thing, and maybe that's just, this is because I'm a journalist, but the treatment of the media in this film is also very troublesome. Uh, one of the characters is, is the classic overzealous intern, um, who, you know, 
can smell a big story and is underappreciated by everyone at the big network um, and whatsoever. Um, so she she gets the big story by the end, and uh, you know she's but she's breaking in places. You know she just knows everything. She has an office, uh, and anyone who works in journalism now knows that we don't really get offices. Um, but it's just not real realistic at all. Um, and one of my a great journalism professor that I had in in college, Ron Marmorelli, passed away recently. He always told me. I remember an intro to journalism that. Oftentimes, reporters are characters in movies because they make for great movie characters because they're, um, you know, they can get access to places. They're supposed to be cunning. They can figure things out. They can go all over the place. You can set them in any situation. So oftentimes, we get reporters as main characters in movies. They do it terribly in this movie. Um, It's just not realistic at all. And I find that very annoying as a journalist, especially in an era when people already have so many misconceptions about the media. So maybe it's just because, you know, maybe that one hits a little bit too close to home and maybe I just am looking into it too much, but it's just not realistic. And I think that's part of the reason that this movie struggles to me. Um, None of the characters feel that realistic and grounded. It all feels sort of just sort of like they're going through the motions and jumbled. I will say that I did, um, there is a twist at the end um, that's sort of like a, there's a twist and then there's a second twist. Um, and I think the second twist works okay. I did like that, you know, um, because this movie, uh, Tim has, it, the reason that he's working with Pikachu is they're trying to find his dad who has since moved on. Um, and the twist ends up, you know, having to do with that sort of whole conflict. And I do like that it, it is somewhat heartfelt um, how it works out between Pikachu and uh, Tim, played by Justice Smith, and the dad, um, who actually is played by Ryan Reynolds as well. So it, it it works out. I like that twist. I just wish that the road to get there wouldn't have been so terrible. So again, I think people who love Pokemon are going to love this movie regardless. I think it's entertaining enough to watch. I think kids will probably like it. It's fun to see the Pokemon come to life. And I would be interested in seeing more live-action Pokemon movies um, I just don't know if this one really did it full justice. It was um, just a little bit all over the place, predictable at times. Um, and for that reason, I gave it a 5.5 out of 10. All right, I said Detective Pikachu is something that you can watch with kids, but the next film I'm going to talk about, yeah, you're probably going to want to leave the kids at home. Uh, in fact, they probably won't even allow you in the theater unless you're 16 years of age or older. It's called John Wick. Chapter 3, Parabellum. Uh, The plot summary on IMDb is... Super Assassin John Wick is on the run after killing a member of the International Assassin's Guild. And with a $14 million price tag on his head, he is the target of hitmen and women everywhere. Uh, This movie, like the previous two films in the series, is directed by Chad Stahelski. Uh, This movie stars Keanu Reeves as John Wick. Halle Berry, Ian McShane, Lawrence Fishburne, Mark DeCasas, Asia Cat Dillon, Lance Reddick, Tobias Seagal, Angelica Houston, and Jerome Flynn, who plays Braun in Game of Thrones, uh, round out the rest of the cast. As I said, this is the sequel um, to John Wick, John Wick, which I believe came out in 2014, and John Wick Chapter 2, which came out in 2017. This movie picks up 
almost immediately after the events of the second film. Um, so you will 100% always want to have seen um, the previous two films to watch this movie. Um, and we don't always say that about movies in series, but um, this one, no question, you're going to want to have seen um, the previous two um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, Obviously, it picks up right after the second one, so if you haven't seen the second one, you could still watch the movie, um, but why he's on the run and in such a frantic state and limping around probably isn't going to be as impactful to you. And also, because the world-building of this film and this trilogy in general um, is so well-crafted and so beautiful and so detailed, um, you're going to want to have some sort of background as to, you know, how this world, underground assassin world, um, sort of works. So, would highly recommend definitely seeing um, the other two films before watching this. <clears throat> this movie, and it's number one reason why it's been loved and why the other two were loved as well, is the intense, intense, attention to detail in fight choreography. Um, I'm not sure I've seen a series of movies that is this interesting, this compelling, this on point with hand-to-hand -hand fighting combat. You can really see how John Wick and the guys he's fighting are impacting and how they're fighting each other. You know, this it's almost like a, a huge tribute to martial arts and kung fu. You know, there's even like an MMA sort of wrestling sort of scene when they're fighting. Um, and it's just so impressive how well choreographed these fights are. It's so fun to watch. It's it's quite literally like a brutal form of performance art. It's almost like a death dance, the way that John Wick is, is trying to make his way through this sort of off version of New York City. Um, and the way that these fights are choreographed are, are really impressive and super, super entertaining. Um, th there's, a, this, uh, there's a fight at the very beginning of the movie when John Wick literally kills this giant assassin with a book, just to sort of give you a sort of <laughs> insight into where this movie's going to go. There's this knife store fight where he's throwing knives at people. There's a fight with a pair of German shepherds um, and when he's teaming up with Halle Berry and the German Shepherds are fighting with them in Casablanca, that is just absolutely riveting. Um, I think it's probably the best use of using attack dogs within a scene that I've ever seen in my life. Um, there's a point when guys are chasing John Wick on motorcycles and with swords, and that's just amazing. It's just so fun to watch, and the camera work is so clean and crisp, and the way that we actually see, I feel like you could almost learn how to fight by watching this movie. If you were a martial arts teacher, you know, you might put on a, a scene that, well, maybe not, because it's a little bit violent. Maybe if you're, you know, teaching college kids or something, you would put on a scene and be like, see how he does this, see how he does this, and because that's literally how pure and fluid the fight scenes are. Like I said, it's like a dance with death. It's it's a brutal form of performance art. It's It's incredible to watch. Outside of that, this movie has an incredible visual style, much like the other two. Um, the use of lighting and neon lights and shadows to make New York and later Casablanca look almost otherworldly. Um, John Wick, in the films, it takes place in the real world. We're not talking about fantasy here, although we kind of are, but it's not like a fantasy world. It's supposed to be real-life New York, but it's this underground world of assassins 
and mercenaries that have their own set of rules and their own sort of hierarchy of management and the way that it all goes down and there's secret places where everyone's in on it, like doctors and um, hotel managers and uh, guns dealers, and they all know what's going on. Um, and so the world building is incredible like it was in the first two, um, but the lighting that Stahelski uses um, and the neon, it sort of makes New York not look like the New York we know. Um, so it's it's taking place in a contemporary world, but it feels like it's taking place somewhere else. Um, and that really just adds to the visual style um, of the movie, which is, which is also breathtaking. Um, sound mixing, sound effects, also stunning in this movie. Um, you know, you obviously have a movie of a guy on the run who's fighting uh, droves of assassins, uh, which means there's going to be very brutal. Uh, you know, the sounds of thumping and the sounds of broken bones and guns shooting and splats and knives slicing and swiping. Um, so it's it really helps. I think that's probably part of the reason why the fight scenes feel so authentic and um, pure because the sound mixing and sound effects are incredible. I would love to see this movie get nominated in at least one of those categories. So, um, you know, this movie, like I said, it takes place right after John Wick has been excommunicado, which means he no longer gets privileges of this sort of assassin world, and there's this huge bounty on his head, so everyone is trying to attack him. So this movie is fast-paced right from the start. Once you're in it, it just keeps going. It's like you're on a roller coaster and it's not stopping. So endless fight scenes, but all done in a clever, unique way where you can differentiate each of them and think back on, whoa, I wonder which one was my favorite. And while it's hard to choose because they're all awesome, you can sort of remember, okay, he just fought this person here. He fought this person here. He fought this person here. So I really love how fast-paced, jump right into the movie, and let's go. Woohoo! Down the hill. We're going. John Wick is going to kill some motherfuckers. So, um, obviously, this movie is rated R. It's about killing an assassin. Tons of blood. Lots of violence in every form. Um, so, if you have a weak stomach, you probably aren't going to be watching any of these movies. But you know that, because you probably haven't seen the first two either. Um, a couple things that I, I wouldn't say, I, maybe they're not dislikes, but they're uh, just maybe a little bit of knocks. I expected this movie to be a pretty tight, small movie of John Wick running around and assassins trying to kill him. And for the most part, that is what it is, but I was surprised how much story they tried to jam into this movie. Um, like I said, John Wick ends up going to Casablanca, and he goes on a little desert expedition for a while, um, and then he comes back to New York, and then there's a big twist, and... So for a movie that I expected to basically be like uh, almost like a, watching a cutscene in Mortal Kombat, um, we had a little bit more story. And I don't know if it's a bad thing because the world building is something that I always loved um, in the previous two films. But in a third one, I'm not sure it was really necessary to expand the world more than it already was. And they try and do that a little bit. So that was maybe just like a slight knock. And it was actually something I liked early in the movie. So it's cool to expand. But maybe it got a little bit too big for its own good when really all we needed to tell was a simple story in this one. The other one is kind of a, just a sort of something that happens naturally um, when you're dealing with sort of a made-up world. But it sort of allows for cheating and storytelling because you can kind of just invent this made-up code of rules. And, and John Wick's past is so wide open. You know, it's not we don't know... 
you know, who he's met in his past. So you can kind of introduce characters and be like, oh, well, this is someone important from his past, um, you know, to, to drive the plot forward. Or you can invent, oh, well, here's an aspect of the missionary world or of missionary, <laughs> not quite missionaries. Um, here's here's a, an aspect of the assassin mercenary world that we didn't know about. But just because we didn't know about it doesn't mean it wasn't there. So you can kind of twist the plot how you want because of that. Um, again, not a knock, just sort of like something that, you know, kind of happens when you have stories like this. I also felt that because of these awesome fight scenes were happening throughout the entire movie, the last showdown, which takes place in sort of like this holographic art gallery, um, it feels a little anticlimactic. It doesn't feel as big as it should compared to the rest of the film. It's still awesome to watch. The choreography is amazing. Um, it's brutal. It's awesome hand-to-hand -hand combat. But it doesn't feel like the climax of the movie to me. It still just feels like another scene. Um, and also, I seem to remember in Skyfall, James Bond had a similar fight um, in sort of like this neon with lights shining in, cubicle, like art gallery place. I believe it was in Skyfall, so it felt like they were ripping off that a little bit. They do it their own little twist on it, so that's just kind of like a meta-logistical thing. Not sure if they took some inspiration from that. Um, and then the really the only real gripe I have is there's too much effort to develop a sequel. Um, which has already been announced now that this movie has been a huge success. Um, it passed the money made by the second one in the first, like, ten days or something like that. So there's going to be a second one, or a fourth one. Um, they very clearly set that up at the end. Um, and because of that, it almost makes everything that we watch happen in this movie feel sort of, like, inconsequential and unimportant. Um, which, whatever, that's kind of this show's call, or this series' calling card is over-the-top violence, over-the-top gratuitous action, um, but we love it for that. So um, I guess if there's a, a reason to do a fourth one, if it's still successful, I can see why they're doing it. I just hate when movies sort of sacrifice plot to set up a sequel. This one, you know, it was still such a fun ride along the way that I'm willing to forgive it, but I always hate that anyways. So like the first two, this one has been very well received from critics, um, professional critics, and I can see why. Um, it really is a masterclass in how to construct a fight scene and specifically how to construct hand-to-hand -hand choreography. I mean, it is just so badass watching this movie. And I, I exclaimed out loud, like, holy shit, like so many times because it's just so awesome to watch. Um, if you're into violence, <laughs> that is. My fiancé probably wouldn't feel so uh, feel the same way. But if you're not squeamish, if you love action movies, this is the series for you. Um, so John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. I gave an 8.5 out of 10. The only reason I knock it down the half is because of the knocks I outlined before. But definitely a movie in an entire series that I would very much recommend people check out. Anyways, that's going to do it here for the solo pod version on uh, May 29th here of the Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, like I said, solo pods aren't always ideal. It's uh, usually better if I have a co-host, but um, they're all busy at the moment, so I wanted to get these reviews out because there's a few more movies that are coming at us fast. Aladdin has been out for a week uh, now, and I definitely plan on reviewing that on the next pod. Um, also, Rocketman, the Elton John uh, biopic is going to be coming out this weekend, um, so that's another movie I want to see. Um, we're, we're in it now. We're in the busy summer season. They're going to be coming at us hot and heavy. Of course, we have Star Wars, 
um, later in the year, um, and also the Lion King, a couple other big releases coming at us, so um, it should be a, a really fun year of movies. There's a lot of things I'm excited to see, um, and I'll uh, if I have to do it solo, I will, but hopefully we can keep getting a steady array of co-hosts coming on. Check us out on Facebook at the Second Day Film Podcast. Check us out on Twitter at SoundCloud and iTunes is where you can listen to the old uh, episodes. And follow us on Instagram. Um, I try and find some cool, unique pictures to put on there. But again, just another way that you can connect with us um, and enjoy the show. So I appreciate everyone who's been listening. Hopefully we'll talk again soon. But until then, we'll see you at the movies.